At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling in three, two, one, you music. And we are live from my favorite kind of show. We are in studio, and I am so happy to have my friend Grant here in studio today. We met at a peer support group years ago. God, I hope it's okay that I said that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Didn't ask you ahead of time. Drop the bomb. <laughs> and uh, we met in a peer support group um, uh, that I was probably facilitating uh, back in the day. And it's uh, great to have you. And when we met, I was just talking about um, putting the show together. And you were just starting out the Honey Badger Alliance. And I'm still not overly sure what the Honey Badger Alliance is. But you got a cool-ass t-shirt, so I like that. Uh, so let's, let's start there, Grant. What is the Honey Badger Alliance? All right, so what happened was a couple of years ago, I finally was able to figure out enough of my own uh, problems, issues, whatever, um, that I was able to come up with some workable models that I could use to kind of, you know, level myself out. And then I found that when we would have a, um, we would have an incident at work or whatever, I could recognize that people were having a little bit of a difficulty. So I would take them aside or I could address the group or whatever and say, listen, you know, this is what's go- This is what we just had happen. This is what you may or may not be feeling. This is completely normal, you know, and, and this is why you're, you know, you're probably thinking this, you know, this line of thought, this line of thought, sorry. Um, because it's something out of the ordinary. It's something kind of horrible. It could be something disturbing, right? So then when I can give people some tools to kind of think about and work over and I see the light bulb go off and I'd be like, okay, I know that person is not going to go home tonight and drink their face off because it's like, okay, they, they don't feel like they're all alone. Didn't have to single anybody out, but give them some tools to use. So I'm like, okay, that seems to work and it seemed to have been working. So at that point I'm like, well, I just like to expand it out a little bit further. I'd like to be able to help more people. Um, like I said, I know it's not, those things wouldn't help everybody, but at the same time it worked for me. So it's going to work for somebody else. And so really the goal is just to look after the team, right? You want your team members to be functional. You you want your team members to be there with you because they're your backup. And ultimately you got to look after each other. And that's really all it is about. Um, Over the years, well, the couple of years that it's been going, I kind of changed a little bit as I grew myself. Um, I kind of refined it a bit more. And now it's, I've come to realize that a big thing we are missing in all of our lives is balance. You know, we all do the the traumatic things. We we all do the the combat, the fighting, like those types of things, right? But we don't balance it out on the other side. And after a while, we lose sight of why we chose to do those things in the first place. You know, it's for the people we care about. It's for the people we love. Um, it's keep each other safe. And we kind of tend to forget about that. And then we kind of just keep slipping slowly and slowly more into that darker, cynical uh, mindset. And that can be very destructive, right? So it's like, okay, there needs to be a bit of balance here. And so how do we achieve balance? And so I just, through my own 
like I said, work and application and studying and, and, and putting myself into these things still, like I'm still active at what I do. And, and so like anytime I have something now, I can pick it apart and, and really compartmentalize it and look at it for what it is and come out with some answers that, you know, help myself and hopefully help other people. Whenever I do find something, I just, I put it out there too. And hopefully, you know, it, it helps somebody else out. What are some of the tools that you are using that are working for you? Uh, the first one that started really working was, uh, I call it pumping the brakes. So, you know, I've heard you describe it on your show quite a bit and, 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 you know, I have it happen a lot and, and guys, I know have a lot where it's like something will just set you off, will trigger you and you go from zero to a thousand, like right now. And so before we, you know, we act on it, we just kind of pump the brakes and be like, hang on a second here now, just stop, stop for a second. Okay. What's really going on here? Okay. I can handle this and it's not worth getting kind of. It's not getting worked up over. And I always just use like little models like that. Another one like I, we were talking about here just before we went on the air was uh, pulling the plug out. You know, if you got whatever kind of a, a machine running and it's plugged in, the power's going. Well, if the machine is being fueled by the anger, it's like I just pulled the plug out. Like, you know, when, you're, when I st- you start to feel the heat rise and it's like, okay, no, I'm just going to pull the plug out. And then just that alone is kind of the same idea where it just kind of stops in your tracks. And it's like, okay this is kind of stupid or whatever. And I'm kind of glad that I caught that because, you know, we always get that too, where we'll react in the out of anger and it's like instant regret. So now instead of having feeling that and causing damage, and it's never perfect. Like there, there's times where you still can never get ahead of it, but it's like 50 to 60 to 70% of the time, it's still better than 0% of the time. Um, and it gets easier the more you do it just like anything else. But I find that works really well. Um, I've been finding that's been working really well lately. Just that pulling the pulling the cord out thing. Like I, I changed my my little model to that, and that works really well. So, do you visualize uh, yourself as a machine, and that you're pulling pulling the cord to to kill the power? Honestly, I didn't really put that much uh, that far of a thought into it. All, all, all I all it basically is, I feel the heat rising, and I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to pull the cord on that. Like just pull the power away from that. That's stupid. And, and, and that's really as far as I thought, like as much thought as I put into it. And it just, that seemed to work. So, um, like I said, these little things that I find, they may work for me. They might work for somebody else or they might work for, for nobody else. But I just, I put them out there and I share them. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this one lately is, I've been finding it works for me. What I'm hearing really what it is, is mindfulness. You know, uh, when you are aware, you, you talk about, I feel the heat rising and that's actually the key part. And then once you are self-aware and you feel it in your body and you feel what's going on and you understand, oh, I think I'm at an eight. This might even be a nine. One of the other tools is um, that, that I've been using, it's super helpful and, and it gives you control, is to rate your anxiety level and say it out loud to whoever you're around. Hey, Grant, sorry, man. I don't know why it's not your fault, but I'm at an eight right now, so I need to step back then you know where I'm at and why I got to do what I got to do. If you don't do that, uh, then people aren't going to understand your actions or your reactions. Uh, the other day, my wife and I were driving around um, uh, High River looking at different properties. And for some reason, I don't know why, it doesn't make any sense to me, but uh, anxiety just was up. And I needed to get the hell out of town and start driving in through the countryside and towards the mountains. I just needed uh, to pull the plug but I didn't say it out loud. I didn't say, honey, I don't know why. I'm so sorry, but I'm at an eight or a nine right now, and I need to decompress. Uh, I need to do that by, by uh, driving through the countryside. I need to get out of town now. That's what was in my head, 
And, uh, but that's not what came out of me because I was, I was too elevated to really find my words properly. So my wife didn't know what the hell was going on. It's like, uh, Hey, I thought we were doing this activity together. So there's a little bit of friction. The friction was because I didn't say it out loud. Had I said it out loud, she would have went, Oh, that makes perfect sense. And then we wouldn't have had a problem. But uh, we unfortunately had to discover that the next day when I was able to talk about it. And it's embarrassing too. And that's one of the reasons that people don't uh, say, hey, uh, I I need to take a step back. I'm actually really elevated right now. I'm at an eight or a nine. I just need to take a step back. People are embarrassed to say that because of the stigma. But the funny thing is, when you say it, the stigma goes away because we're talking about it. Uh, Yeah, um, that's something I started doing too as well. Um, It's frustrating though because you don't, half the time you don't know why. And like we were saying again here um, before we went on the air, you know, it's not like it's not like I had a uh, an overly bad day or nothing happened, but it's just like, what in the hell is going on? It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I just can't handle it right now. So, but it does help. Um, yeah, you know, it just like you said, it's like I don't know what's going on. I'm really irritated right now. I don't know what it is. And at least it kind of, and you're right, it, it kind of lowers the expectations a bit. And I I find it kind of. It kind of does bring that self-awareness, though, too, where it's like, okay, hang on a second here. Now, there's nothing is going on. So you just kind of realize where you are, and it kind of helps uh, to bring it down. Um, the communication thing. Now, this is going to go off a little bit of track of what we were just talking about here, but I still think it's it's worth mentioning as well. Um, just communicate. So, so, for example, for people that are still active in what they're doing, this is also something I've found that, that works really well. Like, we want to shield the ones we love from the things that we do, understandably. I think that also serves to create a barrier though as well. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where we start isolating ourselves more because it's like if I go to work and if I have a stressful day, I don't want to talk about it because if it's something horrible or disturbing, you know, and it's the same idea. It's like, you know, why are you upset or whatever? And it's like, I don't want to talk about it, but you know, people are not stupid and, and people, uh, movies are like people watch movies too, right? Like they know, like, bad things happen there. You don't have to tell them all the little gory um, details, but it'd be like, listen, I had a bad day. This is what happened. This is what I had to deal with. And I found that was a huge help because then you're not putting that wall in between uh, you and the people you care about. And, you know, you're getting, because ultimately we want somebody to give a shit about us too, right? And we want somebody to care about, you know, how bad of a day we have. But if nobody knows, people can't read your mind. And so I found that really helped as well. And like I said, you don't have to go into the, all the crazy details, but you can just be very um, general about the, you know, bad day, this happened. I, you know, seen, these are some of the things I've seen today. And then I find that the, the perspective changes and then you don't, I find myself, I don't put those barriers in there as well. So I find that also helps as well. And again, that comes down to um, just being aware of yourself, but also communicating, right? Like if we have people that we care about, we have to talk to them. And we have to let them know a little bit. Otherwise, how how are they going to give us the care that we need so that we can keep functioning? Because at the end of the day, we signed up to do these things to protect people, right? But we're protecting people because we want to keep the ones we love safe as well. But if we're just alienating ourselves further and further from them, then that starts to you know that starts to dissolve, and then we start going on just that dark uh, that dark path of you know, where we keep getting more involved in work and, and more disconnected from everyone else. So I think that's a, a, a big thing too, like just keeping communication open just in general and learning learning how to better convey what we got going on in our heads and our or our lives, you know what I mean? 
what happens so often is we get out of the military and uh, try to adapt to civilian life, especially, and I, I really hate um, having a division about people that have tours and people that don't, but there is a difference, you know, and it's, it's not like uh, if you're injured, you're injured. If you're injured because of a training exercise or something that happened in garrison, that is equally um, uh, valid as being injured in a combat zone. I was on a peacekeeping mission. You were in a combat mission. They're two different missions. Still on a tour, right? So it doesn't matter the environment where you received a, a, a psychological injury. Um, but the but there is a difference when you've been deployed. Uh, there, there's just some there. You, you can tell it's a different conversation, and it's. Uh, it is different, but it's not more than, I guess is what I'm uh, saying. It's like uh, uh, you and I are not more of a soldier because we were deployed. You know, we have more, we have that experience that others don't have, but I don't have your experience and you don't have a UN peacekeeping experience, right? Um, but yours isn't better than mine. Mine isn't better than yours. It's just different and it's okay. And that's why I grope at uh, t- trying to vocalize that correctly because I don't want to trivialize anybody that uh, that hasn't been deployed, you know. Um, and I've only been deployed once, just once. That's it. Uh, same as yourself, right? Yep. Uh, hopped across the pond one time. It's more than enough. <laughs> just once is more than enough. Um, now, I had a point uh, of, of where I was going with all that. Now, now I've forgotten it. So let's swing back then to um, Honey Badger Alliance. So, um, so have you created a, a community of resources? Then is is that what it is? So basically, what I've what I've found that I've been doing lately is I'll put like and, and my philosophies have changed too. And my philosophies I find are more. So what happened when I first started? It was more specific, as in like you know if you're dealing with this, then this kind of works or whatever. But now what I found is. For myself, I found that I like to know how things work at their at their fundamental uh, um, uh, levels. Because if you understand how something works at a fundamental level, then you can build and construct whatever answer, whatever procedures, whatever models um, you can use. So what, anyway, so what I do is the things I put out lately are, are more based around that. And then what I do is I'll, I'll get like messages privately from people and, and that's how the conversations start. And they go from there. I had a really good chat uh, two days ago, just over the phone with a guy, you know, just having some troubles or whatever and, and just wanted to get some stuff off his chest. And we were kind of bantered back and forth. And I could tell like at the end of that call that that made a difference. And so that's, that, that is a thing too. Like everyone wants to talk about um, the traumas and problems and this and that. And that's all fine and dandy. But there's another aspect to it too where, just having a positive conversation or, or doing something positive with someone to show someone that the world has not in fact ended and that the world is worth getting out and exploring that has merit too. So I, I do, um, as some of that as well, like just have those chats with people. Um, last year, locally, we did a couple of charities. Carl and I, uh, did one for the, um, the ruck for remembrance. That's that 22 kilometer, uh, rucksack march we did around the city here for the, um, Canadian Walk for Veterans, we did 50, oh, geez, 52 or 56 kilometer walk. We basically went from uh, Canmore to the Banff Legion back, and that was for um, to raise money and awareness for 
um, the courageous companions last year. I think it's somebody different this year, but um, just doing things like that, you know, we get it with a group of people. We're getting to do what we used to do before, but not only that, um, there are civilians that come along with us too. And, and that's very important too, because what that, the symbiology that serves the show is, you know, you and I weren't, we weren't soldiers all the time. At one point we were just an everyday, you know, person who decided that this is what we wanted to do. And so we had to start somewhere. So, you know, we go out on these ruck marches and, and, and do all these things. So it's a chance to kind of bridge the gap saying that, you know, these are the things we do as a soldier, but look, you can do it too. Because we were just like you once, and the only difference is we devoted the time and the effort and the training into doing this, but you know what I mean? So you're, you're kind of bridging the gap there as well, and getting out and actually doing that and having conversations. People can ask you questions, and it's you know, you're know you out getting some exercise as well, so I, I think those things are very important to do. Tell me a bit about your podcast. Um, how is it, have you learned from it, and uh, and have you... Are you a different person because you started that podcast? It has definitely um, been super helpful in refining what I need to focus on. So for anyone that's listening to this one that doesn't know who I am with that podcast, it's called Trial and Triumph. And what it is, is it follows a format. When I first created it, I was like, okay, so the problem that I find missing, I'm listening to a lot of things here and no one is willing to talk about how they felt emotionally when we were at their completely lowest rock bottom level. For the most part, people are not willing to talk about it, but that's why people who are suffering feel alone because it's like, if I feel this bad and if I'm just you know looking at Mark and I don't know Mark, I don't know those things that you've gone through yourself and had to you know uh, rationalize, it's like, well, I must be weaker or I must be less if I'm feeling like this. So it's like, how how do we get people to talk about those things? And I was like... Okay, a success story because everyone wants to hear a success story. People like to tell success success stories, and it's also very beneficial to those who may feel like they're lost or may feel like they're alone. So, the format goes, you know, a time in your life whenever you're at your lowest, how you felt, and then ultimately what you did to come back and um, and to write yourself. And the newest thing I pu- started putting into the um, the newest shows as well, following that example, is what would the you now tell to you then which is super important because the language changes now because now that i know where i've been before and where i've where i've got to the way i'll convey that message would be much different as if i was just like objectively giving you you know advice if i didn't know you right so the the language would be different and what i found with that um was even though the problems the issues that people were facing and dealing with were very largely different because I have in my show everyone from I have veterans to law enforcement to everyday people on there and they all have their own issues and it's very interesting because the things they did to get themselves right again are very similar they're all very similar so that now becomes more of a practical working model where even if you're completely lost even if you're completely don't know where to start these things have consistently proven to work so you know what it doesn't hurt give them a try and there's more than one example on there too but fitness is a huge one um which again going back to my point of learning things from a a fundamental level i really started to discover neuroscience just in the last year and i find that very very interesting now it's tricky to find sources because some is very sciencey and like very big long words and it's very hard to sift through that but there are some like practical uh neuroscience books i actually just finished one uh last week and basically you're right you know where you know you're saying the hierarchy of trauma one doesn't rate 
any any more above the other because what I've what I've gotten from those books and I've gotten it from more than one book is that say save you and I right now if we have an argument you know if I'm like you know what Mark f you kind of deal and we get really mad I would run out the other direction <laughs> but you, you're but, you're you're a pretty big dude <laughs> but you but, but but the thing is though the thing is this though is, is is you'd get those jitters you'd get that feeling right and it's the same thing and I, I know like for me responding to incidents even at work like before like I know I have to go and we have to go and deal with something you get those same exact jitters and so like even if even if we don't have the physical exchange you and I your body's preparing you for that so it's giving you that trickle those stress hormones right the adrenaline the noradrenaline the dopamine um what else is in there cortisol and there's one more in there too uh endorphins anyways it, it trickles all that into your system because what those, those things they all serve to perform a function to eat make us stronger very quickly and to keep us more focused and to to keep us from bleeding out and your the body trickles that in there now the problem is if the physical converse, confrontation doesn't happen that stays in there that that shit stays in the system you have to get rid of it and so that's why like everybody pretty much everybody in the podcast said fitness helped them so it doesn't it doesn't serve to fix the problem, but what it does is it flushes all that negative energy out. It's positive if you're using it to survive, but it's negative if it stays in there. It's like putting the high-performance race fuel in your car, and then you let the car idle. It's going to idle really rough and shitty. And the other thing I really like about it is if you just, you know, you touch the gas a little bit, it's going to take off on you, right? So that's the equivalent of if you leave these stress hormones in your body and someone starts asking you something, all of a sudden you snap and get angry. Well, that's why, because you have to get rid of that. And I can tell you time and time again, every time I go out into the garage and I absolutely just kill myself for probably about an hour, an hour and a half, I feel much better. Now, the thing is, that's only part of the equation though, because the exercise doesn't fix the problem. The exercise just levels us out so we can tackle the problem more effectively. It's actually not unlike cannabis and uh, the cannabis helps, but it is a coping mechanism. It is not necessarily healing. Yeah. And, um, and, and I agree because what happens if you get injured and you can't work out? Yeah, you're right. You got no way to flush it now. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. But uh, as as was said once um, uh, by Scott Gullion, actually, if you'll remember him, uh, that coping does make room for healing. That's true. But what uh, you can get hooked on anything, including fitness, right? And and that's a, if you're going to get hooked on anything, fitness is a great thing to get hooked on. You know, um, but anything can have a downside. Like if you're, um, all you're doing is, is fitness, how much uh, effort are you putting into your relationships as well? You know, if, if that balance isn't there, um, then you're still going to be paying a price. There's still going to be a negative effect, even for a positive um, addiction like, like, like working out, which I've been getting better at. But the, uh, the working out creates a positive feedback loop. Because we either get caught into a positive feedback loop or a negative feedback loop all the time. In the positive feedback loop, I just worked out really hard. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling level. Therefore, and I'm looking better and I'm, and I'm physically feeling better. So now I'm uh, motivated to go do it again because that feels good. And then uh, if something happens and you skip a workout, uh, I just don't feel like doing it today. And then you skip the next one. Then now you're into a negative feedback loop. Uh, you're, it, everything is going to be a habit either way. We're all creatures of habit. Whether your habit is uh, watching Netflix or you're, or playing video games, uh, or your habit is uh, uh, hitting the gym th- uh, three to seven times a, a week, 
three really has to be a minimum. But um, uh, either way, it, uh, positive habits are a positive feedback loop and negative habits are a negative feedback loop, which is why people say, oh, I fell off the wagon. You know, and uh, the only way to break those feedback loops is, uh, especially the, the negative ones, is the mindfulness, is realizing my body feels like this, my mind feels like this, my emotions feel like this, being able to recognize it, name it out loud, I'm an 8 out of 10 on anxiety, I'm a 10 out of 10 on depression, whatever it is, my, my, and, and you say it out loud, and you say it to somebody else, once you've said it, you, you're starting to take control of it and you know what to do with it. So fitness is, um, uh, for, from all your guests, an excellent question, by the way. I love the format of, of, your, of your show. Uh, I've, got, I've got to tune into more. I've only listened to a couple, so I've got to listen to a bunch more. Because it's absolutely brilliant. It's also the focus of Tango Romeo. It's Operation Trauma Recovery, not trauma bitch about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, let's get the fuck up and do something about it. Yeah. Um, so, what are some of the other common things that you're hearing other than fitness that uh, uh, people are using that are getting their heads right? Yeah. So, some of it is the uh, the mindfulness um, and just learning more, like just learning more. And that's and that's what I wanted to address, though, too. Like, I didn't want to make it seem like fitness is the only thing. Like, and you're right, it is balanced because you don't anything done. Um, in excess becomes poison as well. And you, you, yeah, you start to, you start to run into problems where your time is being eaten all up for those things or whatever, but just balance and, and understanding more about ourselves, right? Some people, they, they do reading. Um, some people, they, they, they take hobbies too, because we have to, we want to create when we, when we create something, we feel like we're adding value to our world or, you know, bring value to other people's lives. So creativity and and there's varying different degrees on that but people have like i have a hobby right where you're going to be you want to do something like that um yeah and, and that's basically that's pretty much the, the two big ones like and then there's some variants right like there will be some variants but basically you got to have something that keeps you busy something that you enjoy doing and then fitness seems to be the two big ones and then everything else there are there is some variants um the first few episodes and i tried to keep them intentionally short because that's what I, I started to notice. I'm like, I wanted people to be able to, if you have an hour to listen to five or six, so you can see there's consistency, but the problem, well, not really the problem, but um, there's just so much potential inf- information sitting there. So then the shows begin to be, you know, 35 minutes and now they're around the hour mark or the last couple or whatever, but um, really, really good information, really good points from that as well from uh, different perspectives and different walks of life. So I was like, there's no way I cannot not share this because it's just, it's too helpful. Well, it doesn't all have to be shared in one episode either. I mean, uh, my formats tend to be pretty long. There's a few shorter shows uh, uh, between uh, 10 and 20 minutes. Um, I just came across one, the Post Traumatic Growth Podcast. It's got a picture of a butterfly on it. Uh, I haven't tuned in yet, but they're all uh, 20 minutes, which is TED Talk length, right? And uh, it, it depends what you like. You look at um, uh, some of the big shows like Joe Rogan, they're all two, three hours, like every one of them. It depends on what you're looking for. And uh, like for this, it's about having a a good conversation more than it is um, pumping people full of information, right? And by listening to a true authentic conversation between uh, two guys that serve in the same regiment, you know, um, they're they're hearing two guys that are being vulnerable. And that is the the courageous part, right? Um, 
I can be a tough guy when I need to. You can be a tough guy when you need to. You can crack heads when you need to. I can crack heads when you need to. But none of that comes close to the courage of being able to say, yeah, I've, I've got me some issues and I'm going to say them out loud. That's why uh, recover out loud is the tagline. And that is the toughest thing, the most badass thing I've ever done. And I'm going to guess it's the most badass thing you've ever done is opening up your chest and letting everybody have a look that, yeah, man, sometimes I really shit the bed. Sometimes I yell at my kids and I'm an asshole. Yeah. And, and I can't do that anymore, which is why you're doing your podcast. It's why I'm doing this podcast. It's why we met at peer support. Let's talk about peer support. Um, uh, you've talked about uh, different events that you've been a part of or, or have put together. Um, what is peer support to you? How would you even define it? Okay, so this is the way I've always looked at peer support and, and comparing it alongside of um, professional help. So if the problems we're facing is the mountain, we'll use that just as the symbiology. The mountain is what we have to climb to, to get to the top to get past whatever challenge we are facing. So... Peer support is you telling me, okay, Grant, you're at the bottom of the mountain. This is the best path to way up. I've, I've been up this slope before. This is, this is a really good path. If that one's not looking so great, then here's another option because you've been up that mountain before. So you know the path. The professional help is they give you the tools to get up the mountain more effectively, right? So they may not have climbed the path necessarily themselves, but they've studied that mountain. They know what equipment is there available, right? So whatever you need, if it's snowy, then they give you your ice axes and your spiky boots per se, but you still, or we still have to climb that mountain. We still have to do it, right? And the peer support are other people who have climbed that mountain. And they may have tried some of those tools from those professionals. And they may say, well, this might work. This didn't work for me, but this worked kind of deal, right? So one is not better than the other. You just have to understand where they fit together and how. And for me, that way of looking at it makes a lot of sense to me. So peer support for me is just one person helping the other up the mountain is the most basic way I can put that. Do you find that there's different forms of peer support? Like what do you mean? Like in what kind of a context? Well, uh, the rolling barrage, as a for instance, is a form of peer support. It's just a matter of um, people with uh, similar backgrounds getting together in a place where there's no judgment. Right? Okay. And doing one hell of a nice activity uh, together. Um, that can be done uh, on a canoe trip or uh, pretty much anything outdoors. Then there was the group where we met. That is a different type of peer support. Where we're sharing with each other what our individual mountains look like. And also uh, sharing with each other what equipment are you using for your mountain to climb to climb up that and the facil- the facilitators which it would have been me or john standing up there and going let's and 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 guiding all of that because sometimes when we're looking at our mountain we're not we're looking at it in a way that does not serve us and if we were to look at it a different way um then we would the forest would open up and we'd see a path that we never saw before but because of how we're looking at it or the angle that we're looking at that mountain, we just can't see the damn path. So that's what the peer support facilitator does. We bring uh, what people will call psych ed. So we would talk about 
useful books and useful tools and um, uh, like the four agreements and uh, the five love languages and, and stuff like that and how to apply it into our lives. I would talk about identity versus role theory and who you actually are as opposed to who you identify uh, with. We would, there's all these different um, uh, tools that, that we'd bring to bear. Uh, we've had uh, people talking about different philosophies like stoicism, wh- whatever, whatever works for, for, for different people. And you don't got to use it all, otherwise you'd be drinking from a fire hose. Nobody can do it all. The, the point is to be aware that there are other ways of looking at things. There are resources out there. And to pick something, you know, pick something that works for you. Uh, you pick something that, uh, that I shared at Peer Support and you made it your own, um, made, it, made it a little bit different. You, you, you call it unplugging, right? And, um, but really the, the, the bottom line is that mindfulness piece. But with all the different types of uh, peer support, whether you're sitting in and, and doing a workshop-based peer support like what uh, you experienced with us um, and, and what uh, uh, we also do on, on a Zoom group every, every couple of weeks, I'm a part of another uh, Zoom group with Theo Fleury. And uh, that, is, that is different as well. Uh, it is more about the, um, uh, the sharing of the lived experience. And it's different we don't talk a whole lot about the tools but different groups are are going to be attractive to different people just like different podcasts are going to be attracted different people are going to be attracted to it and and get tools from it so for the uh the peer support the groups that uh, you showed up uh for that uh, that i was running what are some of the things that you took from that and like or, or better yet why did you come in the first place? Like, what brought you there, and what did you get out of it? Well, I haven't ever experienced anything like that before, so I was just—I was really curious just to see what it was and to see what it was about. And I'm—I'm I'm getting a lot better with being very honest with myself. In fact, whenever I have anything goes wrong in my life, I take the accountability on myself first. Now, I will look at myself first, and I will ask, "Am I the problem here?" And so, just like that. We don't know where our black boxes are, so to speak. So I want to show up and be like, okay, so where do I fit into this matrix here now? And you know what I mean? You're just in the long where everyone else is. And that's the beautiful thing about um, peer support too. Um, and when you're saying like, and that's why I wanted to ask you the context or whatever, just to get some clarity. Cause I mean, yeah, you're right. There's the, the workshops like that you were doing that I was a part of. There's also the groups, like you mentioned, the rolling barrage and some of the charity events. And you're right, there isn't one size fits all. And and we do have to be honest with ourselves at some point of where am I at on the mountain here? And, you know, sometimes we might need that. We might need to hear other people are in the same boat. And sometimes we might just need someone to show us that the world hasn't ended by doing something fun. So anyways, what I took away from what, well, just that and the collective part of it is that I'm looking at it very broadly in peer support in and of itself is people join you, people who are on the same part of the mountain as you join you for that part of the climb, right? So so the things that I, I talk about and the things you talk about may be different. They're not wrong. They're just in a different, or sorry, not wrong or not better. It's just, it's it's in a different context of where we are on our path on that mountain. So the nice thing is that then that pie becomes an infinite size now because it's not like, you know, you're, one person's got everybody over here or, or doing this. It's like, okay, this is what I'm doing. You want to come and do this? And if this doesn't work for you now, go and join there. And you, you know, you pick up and lose people as you go, as you grow and, and, and as they grow. 
that's what I like about peer support. And it's always, it's always there because it seems like there's just so many people are doing it now. And, you know, I think we're really, I was, I was talking to you about that too, where we really are winning the war on this here now. Um, that's why I was talking about you a little, little bit back on the messenger there when I was like, you know, this seems to be an unconscious collective where people are kind of more, a little bit more open with things. And I know personally for me, I know for years, like either feel nothing, you feel anger. Well, now it's like, am I getting old? Am I getting softening up here finally? Or, you know, but it's safer to, it's safer to explore what you're feeling and it's safer to explore feelings other than anger and, and to actually visit those. And then it helps you really, um, and figure out what you got going on. So coming back to what you're saying, what I took away from that peer support is it, it kind of, it kind of fed that where it's like, okay, it's, it's okay to explore these things because other people are, are in the same shitty boat or the same, you know, the same shitty diaper. And so not only do I want to help myself, but I want to help these people as well because we want to look after a team. And for me, that's, that, that was the thing for me. It's like, okay, so what do I have going on? How do I, how do I, how do I make myself better? So I don't, you know, negatively impact those around me, but also at the same time now it's like kind of take on that ownership of like, okay, I have to do my research here now too, because I want to help these people. So then it, it becomes more of a, more, more looking at it as a positive thing, as a curiosity thing, as a research and application thing versus, um, you know, I'm just afraid to share with anybody now. So I think that's what peer support, those, those parts of those workshops, they help with that. Um, just helping explore your emotions better and being able to compartmentalize them a little bit. And then the other things, obviously, like I was saying, they, it's just the affirmative positive action. Talking about it, sharing it, that is what gets rid of the shame. You know, the reason it's a thousand pound, or one of the reasons it's a thousand pound telephone the first time you ask for help. Like, do you remember the first time you reached out for help? Was it hard for you? Toya. For sure it is. It, it, it is because you just, you, you don't, you just, you don't know how people are going to take it. You don't know how people are going to look at you. And it's like, you have all these, you have all these very self-defeating ideas of what we think is going to happen. And, you know, just look at it like everything else you do when you're, you know, you're getting ready for any kind of combat or any kind of situation. It's like, shut your brain off and just jump into it and just start dealing with it. Yeah. It was a thousand pound telephone for me. It's the toughest damn phone call I've ever made in my life. And I used to do cold calls for a living. <laughs> it, uh, it was really, really tough. But um, the, the more we have these conversations, Grant, uh, and we have peer support, and, and we make the posts that we do on social media. I can't stand social media, but I'm stuck with it to promote this show, right? Yeah. Uh, if I ever stop doing the show, I'm going to stop my social media. I'm just getting the hell out of it. Um, but it's the only way that I can sort of spread that message that, Hey, it's all right. So when people, um, uh, hear people like me and hear, hear people like you and they're like, well, I'm not hearing any kumbaya here. I'm hearing a couple of dudes, a couple of regular good dudes, a couple of combat veterans, uh, that aren't all soft and fluffy. Well, maybe, maybe it's okay to be injured. Maybe it's okay to ask for help. Maybe it's okay to to have the conversation and and to talk about it because if you're not talking about it, you're you're not healing. It's the secrets that you have. It's it's the silence that isolates you, and it's the isolation that kills you, literally kills you. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, since your tour of Afghanistan, uh, how many guys do you know that have killed themselves? Personally, um, I haven't really been. F- 
I haven't been following it too too closely on like on the social media, but as far as like people that I personally know, I don't think I know of any personally. I see I see things pop up lots from different agencies and this and that, but guys that I personally know, I haven't seen it. Doesn't mean it has it has happened or has not. It's just that I don't personally know of. Yeah, there's been a few of uh, the guys that I know, and um, when I did my tour, there was a few guys that were on their third. And uh, they had done a, a double tour, so a, a year solid in that place, which is a lot. It's too much. Uh, so they did a year solid, took six months off, and then they came on for uh, their third tour, which was my one and only tour. And uh, one fella, uh, I won't say his name, but he says, yeah, it's weird. Out of the uh, uh, 10 of us that I know that did the double tour, I'm the only one still standing. Three are dead from suicide, uh, two are in a mental s- asylum, you know, um, uh, and, and the rest, are, they, they've just disappeared because uh, uh, they, they crawled into a bottle and they won't come out. Um, that's what happens when you have too much war and zero processing, you know. And w- what we're doing through the peer support, through um, uh, Recovering Out Loud, through our podcasts, is we're helping other people process as well. They hear you, they hear me, they, they, they hear the tools, uh, they hear Every, everybody from the people with the PhDs to the people with the lived experience. And uh, the fact that we're still standing and, and that we're functioning and we have the courage to, uh, to say, yeah, there's a problem, but I'm getting through it, that's all encouraging. Uh, in the States, one out of, it's estimated about one out of five homeless people are veterans. And I don't know what that number is here, but in Calgary we have two veterans food banks and there's one in Edmonton. And as far as I know, those are the only three veteran food banks in the entire country because the problem is not, uh, not because the problem isn't there. It's because the problem isn't recognized properly. Just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean that it's happening. But you and I and, and all the other people that are doing something similar are bringing that awareness out. Uh, organizations like the Rolling Barrage and different documentaries, and uh, some of them are on Netflix. It's opening up the conversation without um, uh, demonizing or trivializing what the injury, uh, post-traumatic stress injury, is or, or, or what it's like. How would you describe um, having a post-traumatic stress injury? Like, what what does it look like to you, and, and how would you define it? Are you talking in general? Are you talking at any specific stage? Because I'm <laughs> where I'm at now is very much different where I was years ago. I remember it was so bad that if I would have a day off to myself, and I was telling somebody this just the other day, so I would have a full day off from work, and I was like, I want steak and potatoes today. Like I have the stuff at home, but it's like I don't have time to make that. You know what I literally was doing in, in the house all day? Nothing, and I didn't have any time to make it. I just wanted to play my video games and, and drink a few beer. And that's it. I didn't have no time to make supper. And literally, I throw like I would throw the steak on the George Foreman. I would throw a few potatoes in a pot and boil it. Like I now where I'm at now, I do that in between doing five other things. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's a challenge. Um, back then, even still, like that's you're talking ten years ago now. Too at that point, didn't have access to none of the information that I have now. Um, no one was posting anything even remotely close to what's going on social media now in regards to these things. Whenever it's, I found, whenever I started doing it, it was interesting because a bunch of guys were popping up at the same time as well. And I think I found you not that long afterwards. And all of a sudden, 
these problems seem to get easier and easier. And then you easier is in understanding wise. Like they're still tricky. They're always going to be tricky. Like there is no, there's no cure um, for, for something like this. There's only, you're just readjusting yourself to your, to your new reality. And so what I look at PTSD and, and those things like that now is whenever we're young, we get brought up in a secure, more secure society like this. Like we don't have the atrocities of war happening where we live now, right? So we don't get to experience those things. We're mostly shielded from the horrible things that people do to each other. So our expectation of the world, that's what that is. And then we start getting into these jobs and into these trades and we start seeing, experiencing all those things. Well, all of a sudden now, like a pane of glass, you know, that big window you have over there, it's one sheet, right? All of a sudden, if someone throws a rock through that sheet, it's going to fragment into tons of pieces. But now those, those different pieces, they get, say they get colored by experience and perspective and you build it back into like, a, what's it called, a mosaic window? The ones that are all colorful, right? Those are really nice to look at. Those take a lot of work. Those have to be put together and built, and that's not easy to do, but it's it's a very nice thing to look at. And so where I was going with that is our expectations get shattered, but it's up to us to understand that we just know more of what the world actually is now. We have to rebuild that back up now in a different perspective, and the light shines through us in different ways if you're talking about in the same analogy as the window, right? And so it's not, it's not something that we need to dwell on to the point where it drives us crazy. It's just that we have to understand now more about the world we live in. So, okay, we deal with horrible people. Well, why are people this horrible? Okay, people are this horrible because the environment they get brought up in, they, they grew up in a very horrible environment. So they're, they're more, they have be, they have worse impulse control. They make worse decisions. They have a less of a value on human life. And so now we know that. So at least now, you know, those types of people are out there. So it's like, it's not a shock no more as to why would somebody do that? Because they were, they were raised, they had a very shitty deal whenever they started or, you know, you go over to different countries and it's the same idea. Well, those people have been ravaged by war their entire life. Like that is life for them. That's what they know. That's normal. That's like you getting, you going out, getting a truck and going to the grocery store for groceries, like them doing whatever they're doing, all that fighting. That's the same thing to them, but it's not the same for us. And we have to realize that those things happen in the world like that. And so the more I think we are honest with ourselves and the more we objectively can look at things like that, I think that's where we can start to build a more, um, a more workable model to use to kind of dial ourselves back where we're suffering less and being able to compartmentalize and being able to um, to reflect on things more. And that's the, the big thing too that I started to really do a lot of this year is just reflecting. If, if anything bad happened, um, you know, we're always going to get the emotions. The emotion is a response to something we can't control. And that's just, that's something I come up with that worked for me. If, if you're happy or you're angry or you're sad, it's something happened out of our control. And that's why then our limbic system kicks in to, to kind of take over because it works faster than our ability to think. And then once we can sit back in a quiet place and we can think about things and unpack and reflect, that's where we can finally put those emotions to bed. And anyways, for me, just my journey in the last couple of years, that's what I've come to learn to make work for me as it comes to stress and trauma and PTSD and things like that. And I found that I've come a long way, but I also am, have a lot more longer way to go yet, right? Because it's, like I said, there's no there's not really a cure. It's just, you have to understand that, okay, our balance is different now because now we're holding more weight. We understand more. We, we know more weight. So we have to do more maintenance on the other end. Now, now we have to keep ourselves healthy. We have to keep ourselves active. We have to keep our, our, our mind working. 
to balance this out because if not this this weight will drag us down this weight will consume us so we have to balance it out on the other side and we have to you know do things like don't forget you have a family and don't forget why we did these things in the first place is to keep our family safe so enjoy your time with your family like you know we can't just like pop and and like you know what i mean i was bad for it too like where it's like i I don't have the time i don't have the energy for this but you start to make the time and the energy for it all of a sudden this this gets lighter right and i found that was really uh that was a really big thing especially this year for me like i did a lot of philosophy and i really like a lot of soul searching and, and like but asking very objective questions. Some of them are very, very uncomfortable questions. And I had to question myself too on things where I'm like, am I the problem here? And most of the time the answer is yes. And so then, but then, but then it's like, I'm not going to sit here and just say, well, I'm a, I'm useless or, or, or I'm a, I'm a dead weight on somebody. It's like, no, I just, I've been doing this. I didn't mean to do this. And so how do I fix this? And it might just be as simply as, you know, like I was saying, you know, whenever you're in a rush and you know your kids smell you're in a rush and they do everything to be slower, well, when you feel the heat rising, you just you unplug the cord, you take the emotion away. Because whether you, and that's the other thing too, and the more you do something, the better you get at it. So it's like, yeah, you know what? This is not worth it. I've been here before. This has ended stupidly before and, and it's not worth it. It's like, whether I get mad or not, I still have to do this. And, you know, the kids are gonna, the kids are gonna hate you less or, or look down on you less if you just go and do it anyways, it's not their fault. It's not nobody's fault, really. It's just, it's what it is and you just have to make it work. So do you focus more of your cognitive energy in, in getting it done or do you do you rob some of yourself of that, um, some of that cognitive energy by giving it to shitty emotion that help nothing? You've said a few things today that are just fantastic and some of the metaphors you've used I've never heard before. I love the mountain metaphor and I love the uh, the stained glass window metaphor. Uh, I, I'm going to use both of those again and again. For sure, yeah, use it. Um, what I've realized uh, listening to you though is it's not so much about um, healing as it is about getting stronger. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a scene in the, the movie 13 with Antonio Banderas hanging out with these Vikings. He picks up the sword. He's like, what the hell? This is one hell of a heavy store, sword. And the Viking said to him, get stronger. And, and that's what PTSD does. It forces us to choose. Either that uh, the sword that we need is going to be too heavy and we can't swing it, or we're going to get strong enough to swing it. We're going to get strong enough to, put, to, to lift up that shield. If you just can't do it, get stronger and it forces us Mm -hmm. we don't have much of a choice we have to get fit you know we we have to eat cleaner we 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 have to because if we don't the only other option is to isolate ourselves from society because we don't fit we can't handle people we can't handle stress can't handle conflict uh, because we're worried we're going to kill somebody or hurt somebody you know, and, and hurting somebody doesn't mean necessarily punching them in the face. It could be as simple as a, as a harsh look because a harsh look of uh, death from you or I is enough to make somebody's blood curdle. And, um, it, it, it's, it's a look of malevolence. Uh, when, when you go to that, uh, uh, to that place and you get into that zone, it's a look that other people don't have in their eyes because it's, uh, it's a look into the, into the darkness that, uh, that we n- now know that we have in our souls because we've seen it in the souls of others. And um, hurting somebody can be just be done with a look. And God help them if we use our voice on top of that. And, uh, uh, you know, so what's our choice? 
learn to be softer, which takes strength. It's counterintuitive. But being softer is stronger. Being softer is more mindful. Being more kind, being more empathetic, it's more difficult for you and I to be kinder and more empathetic because uh, we're in sheepdog mode. Protect, protect, protect. Threat, 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 threat assessment. And um, uh, so it takes more strength for us to be that person. It takes more strength and mindfulness and awareness to be that better dad, to not yell. It takes more to, to, to hold that, that tide back. We need a bigger dam, you know, to, to hold the, uh, those waters back. And we need more coping strategies. So it's not necessarily about making those uh, symptoms going away. It's about being stronger to, um, uh, to, to be able to carry the, that weight, that burden that is our lives, and it will be, um, uh, being emotionally stronger, physically stronger. It's our duty it is our freaking obligation to our children, to our spouses, to ourselves to be stronger so that we can um, uh, be healthier. Because if we're healthier, we're, we're a more valuable person to our families. Now, there is another side of that. Yes, we have to be stronger, but the symptoms can be reduced. They can be reduced through things like diet, the, 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 the better brain right there. You know, uh, read this book, learn this book. It will reduce the symptoms. Um, it, it will make it so that you don't have to be quite as strong to hold it back, but you still have to do something. You know, uh, recovery is an activity, not an event. And recovery doesn't happen in a pill. That might help you cope for a while, mm. you know, but it's not going to fix you. And no pharmacist, no um, uh, psychiatrist is going to tell you the pill is going to fix you. It just helps you manage so that you can stay level enough that you can start making better decisions and, and, and doing the right thing. And even that being said, true healing, where, uh, where you are actually fixed, might be on the horizon. There's ketamine clinics that are opening up across the country. The, the whole field of psychedelics might be actual healing so that the trauma cup goes from being up here all the goddamn time to right down here with the rest of the people. I've read about how those work. That is very interesting. That's very interesting to, to show how that actually works chemically in the brain. I was, I was reading it whenever I first uh, heard about that, probably a month or two ago. I was like, that is very interesting. Well, I can hook you up. Uh, so uh, there's there's more than one ketamine clinic that's opening up. The one that I know about is called The Newly. And uh, bizarre name, <laughs> but great bunch of guys. And uh, one of the uh, owners is um, uh, Dr. Richard Pucci. He was one of the top doctors in the entire CF, um, Canadian military for the rest of the world, uh, Canadian forces. And um, and he's part of, of putting all this together. And it's all science-based. So it is a combination of the psychedelic ketamine, which is also used as a tranquilizer and all this, but used the right way um, uh, with with therapy, and it's intense. It's not just like I'll see you for fifteen minutes every four months. You know, it's uh, like six or eight hours a day for four weeks. It's it's a big big program, but what's coming out the other end is actual fixed, like a cure. 
<laughs> to to rewrite to rewire your brain, and that is something else. And and honestly, the only thing that has ever given me uh, um, not permanent but uh, lengthy relief is psilocybin, which uh, I had. Yeah, that's the one. That, that's the one I meant that I was reading about. Sorry, not the ketamine, the psilocybin. That was very interesting how that works. Sorry, yeah, keep going. No, no, not at all. Um, so with the psilocybin, uh, I had to, uh, uh, go online and, uh, order it online and shows up at your door. And it's like, I don't know how, but it does, you know, and, uh, please haven't come to my door yet. So right on, please don't, uh, you know, not, I'm not selling this stuff, uh, just taking it for health reasons, but the psilocybin, um, it, it you can do any of those psychedelics done properly, not just for like woohoo recreational. I, I like to see, uh, the, the, the uh, cartoons on the wall that aren't really there. Um, when done the the right way, and especially guided with a professional therapist, or uh, there's people called um, not gurus, sages. Uh, what the hell are they called? Shamans. Shamans. Yeah, that's the one. Um, now there's no certification, so I don't know how to, you know how you get, find a good one. You know they don't exactly have five star ratings on Facebook, yeah. But um, uh, some sort of guidance anyway. Uh, when I did a big dose, I did it with a babysitter. So I was another veteran. I said, uh, "Can I hang out with you for six hours while I do a ride and just make sure I'm okay, and nothing bad happens?" And and he babysat me so uh, so that I could do it. But the um, all my symptoms went away for a while. Uh, the depression just lifted. And during the session, my brain was, uh, the point of any good therapy session is to sort of tap into your unconscious and to look at things that you're looking at in a destructive way, to look at them in a constructive way. So to change how you look at things. And as Wayne Wayne Dyer used to say, when you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. So it's not um, the picking up of body parts uh, uh, that is so horrible. It is what it means. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the story in my head about how those body parts got there. It's the story in my head of the malevolence of the evil. Um, uh, And yes, that did happen, (laughs) right? Um, But uh, it's, it's the story in your, in your head. And, in therapy, they try to tell a different story, a healthier story, a, a, a story that is not traumatic to explain the exact same thing so that your association with that memory doesn't injure you anymore. That's the freaking point of therapy. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. For the body parts, It uh, I don't think it worked because it was just too horrible. But with um, uh, psilocybin or or any of these other approved um, deals, I really like the psilocybin though. Um, they 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 help you see these things in a way that doesn't trigger you. I hate that word, but let's say activate. I like the word activate. It doesn't activate you, and um, and and helps you see it in a way that you can be at peace with, as opposed to um, it, it really deeply bothering you so anyway these uh, ketamine clinics are opening up across the nation and in calgary here uh it's called the newly uh they're they've got other locations i think they're gonna open one in moncton uh, or fredericton um somewhere in new brunswick um and and they're gonna go national and and i'm uh uh, i have a a relationship with them so uh, and they're gonna be opening up this august 
So super exciting stuff. And uh, after I've gone through it, because they they will sign me up for it, I'll let you know if it's real healing. You know, when there's a a year or two after, if I'm good and I can re-enter the workforce properly, then great. But right now, I can't even hold a job because uh, uh, some of the symptoms that that I deal with, um, I have some really severe uh, authority issues because of things that happened to me while I was a soldier. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all the childhood stuff uh, as well. But uh, when I was in Croatia, the bombs and the bullets, I didn't mind that part. I kind of liked that part. It was exciting. Landmines, a little less excited about. The body parts, I could have done without. But um, the uh, uh, how I was treated by my section commander and a couple of very specific incidents um, were too much just too much so if i have a boss and uh uh, and i i feel bullied or pushed in any way it's on like donkey kong man i'm like fuck you i will not allow myself to uh to be treated like that again oh did i just get fired again fuck you i don't care and out the door i go except that's not great for a stable income. And uh, what happens to people is the, the self-loathing from getting uh, fired again and again, uh, the self-esteem just drops through the floor, and there you have the homeless people because uh, they have like, like <laughs> the same issues that I have. The difference between the homeless people and me, it's, it's razor thin. It's razor thin. And, and that I, I hope that... Um, people understand that and in that grows there's a, a documentary the the wisdom of trauma from uh, gabor mate spectacular uh, documentary but basically people that are on the street they are not less than us uh, they just had more trauma <laughs> than, than than most others and it broke them and they got into a negative feedback loop of the addiction which made their self-esteem even worse and down the spiral they went. So it's all about compassion. I've heard you say that too. It's about compassion and understanding for others so that I don't get mad at them. But almost more importantly, compassion and understanding for ourselves so that when we shit the bed, because we do, to be able to have compassion and understanding for ourselves and forgive ourselves, but also to repent. Mm. You know, it's our, it, it may not have, um, uh, been our fault it was the injury's fault that i just did that really bad thing but it is that doesn't make it an excuse that's just an acknowledgement that the injury did that not me it is still our responsibility to find a way to heal enough that we don't repeat that behavior yeah and it really comes down to um self-talk is a big one uh, what you're saying too, the way you frame things. And then when I read about that uh, psilocybin, what it does is like, say if you and I are having this conversation right now, it what I got from it, the article I read was like, only one part of the region is more dominantly lit up at one time. So right now it'll be our frontal lobes because we're having a conversation where we're using language and, 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 you know, abstract thinking. They say when you use that stuff, it lights them all up at the same time, like an orchestra. I was like, I bet you that would be interesting What what would go through your head, right? So it's very interesting for you to to describe it as such and then reading that because it really does make that make sense where like before if you if you only associate the thing with the pain but now it's also giving that surge where it's lighting up all the other regions of your brain it's kind of by force you know giving you these other perspectives as well maybe help you put it to bed that way or whatever uh yeah no it sounded like it was very interesting that way but um just what a 
what the other thing I wanted to touch on, sorry, with the um, with the self talk too, and going back to um, strength, that is a big part of what I'm putting out right now. It's all forward moving. Um, the theme, the, the the headline underneath my Honey Badger Alliance is strength and resilience by leading example. So, and that's the thing too. Like I found that once I started actually putting stuff on there of me doing stuff like getting out and doing stuff like some of it was the fitness stuff or some of it was when we're doing whatever then people are more willing to engage with you and and people are more willing to to get on board with what you're putting out because it's like i'm not just reading a bunch of books and, and and reading these things and spewing it out it's like i'm actually getting out there and living the philosophy and you know what i found was you hit the nail on the head it's like well it's on us you know we have to get stronger. Like we're only, we only learned half it. We learned how to, we learned how to fight, but we didn't learn how to balance it out. And that's what caused the problems. And that's why we don't fit into society and things like that. So the two big main philosophies that I'll give the people are just understand where you fit into the world. Now, it's very easy for me just to say that one line. There's like hours and hours of reading and, and thinking that went into something like that. But it's like, you have to understand, you know, what we were talking about earlier different experiences i've gone now and seen a different world my illusion of the world has been completely shattered but it's been rebuilt but i understand that you know say if say for just for example if i grew up in this house and i understand what this is and then i go away and i come back now i start to look at things different the house is the same so i just have to understand that i just i know more of the world the the house hasn't the same the other people are not going to be different and so i have to understand that i can't I can't be judged, and that's the other thing too. That it, it, you see a lot of people, and myself included too. Forever, you're more judgmental of people because it's like, well, how could you be so stupid? How could you not know this? And that because they don't know. They haven't. They have not put themselves out there. They have not gone through these horrible experiences and had to come back from it. So they they simply don't know. So so again, instead of looking at it from a judgmental thing, take it the other way. You know, we want it to be the protector. It's on me. I took all this on. I know what could happen. So it's my job to safeguard those people. And they don't know. And that's why I'm going to shield them from that. And I'm going to continue to be so strong and I'm going to keep getting stronger because then if that evil ever finds its way on my doorstep now, now I'm equipped to handle it. And that evil is going to see more of a monster than it realized and it's going to run away. Not me, it. One of the uh, douchebaggy things veterans tend to do when they get back and which makes it really, really tough for us to um, adjust to civilian society is we shit on uh, civilians by saying, you just don't understand, you have no idea. And we do it from a judgmental standpoint. Uh, it's like, no, they don't know. That's yeah. what we're there for. That's what the sacrifice is. We know so that they don't have to. Mm-hmm. We saw it so that they don't have to. That's the sacrifice. Yeah. That's the, it's not just your life. <laughs> it was your perspective that was sacrificed. So uh, they're, they're, they're not dumb because they don't know what we know. Uh, they don't know what we know because we did our job. They're not supposed to know. And that's what my father said. I said uh, to him once, and he, he had a moment of fatherly wiseness. Um, I said, Dad, you have no idea uh, of, of what it's like. He goes, nor should I. That's what you signed up for. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's actually really wise. And um, uh, and it's true. We, we can't be judging people. Um, uh, it's like when they say, did you ever kill anybody? Well, they're saying that from a place of ignorance. Like they, they don't know that that's not a cool question. They don't know that taking a life is, uh, uh, it, it's not a video game. Like they, they don't know. And, um, and very, very few of us are going to answer that uh, at all or, or answer it honestly. 
you know, especially those that have taken lives. And uh, I mean, it's not like I'm not curious. Sure, I'm curious, you know, who has and who hasn't, because I haven't. So I'm curious um, that I know of. There's actually a few instances that I don't know. And actually, next time I'm asked, I'm asked uh, I don't know. I might have, but I don't know. There's a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know for sure. I think some of that though too is we are programmed to collect survival data. We watch, what do, we, what do people watch tons of, especially nowadays, UFC, boxing, fighting. There's a million videos of all kinds of violence on YouTube. We are programmed to, to, to look for those things to get that survival data. So I think some of it, is, it's not completely from a point of like, oh, I think this is cool. It's, I think people are just generally want to know what that feels like in case for some of, some reason they ever find themselves in there. But I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely difficult when you get asked that. But at the same time too, again, um, I don't think it's from now, I don't think it's from a, a position of, of malice. Or anything. I simply think that's all it is. They're just curious because we are programmed to do that. We're programmed to respond to negativity, unfortunately. And that's what's ensured our survival for the last, you know, right up until now is watching for hazards and death and things like that. So I think people are just generally curious. So that's another one too. You kind of, kind of lightened up on a little bit too. Cause I used to get kind of ir- really irritated with that too or whatever, but it's like, I kind of started thinking about it like that. And I was like, and I read that somewhere too, where we're kind of programmed to do that. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Maybe I'll just kind of, I'm not kind of quite hold as much of a grudge cause it's not coming from a place of complete, like, ignorance per se uh, it's just curiosity and like everything else if they knew better they'd do better if they knew that they don't know the question that they're asking they don't have no idea because uh, the the truth is most people that have taken a life in a war zone it haunts them like nothing else uh and even <laughs> and the ones that they say no doesn't bother me at all well that might be true but chances are it's a mental trick that your brain did and you're protecting yourself which is why it's uh, so common that it's not until uh, uh, people have been out for 20 plus years before they suddenly have a perspective of that thing that I thought I was totally cool with, I'm not cool with at all. Something you used to joke about and laugh about, all of a sudden you're freaking horrified by the exact same thing because you've had so much distance from it that your perspective has changed and you're seeing it in a very different way. Uh, I've heard um, some stories from Afghanistan that uh, uh, people talking out loud, and that horrified me because I've been out since 1995. But it took about that long to uh, to get that distance. So the people that are have only been out for a year or two, and they've uh, they've never had to talk to, to anybody. They don't think they have PTSD. Doesn't mean that you don't. It, it, your brain uh, may not have enough distance from from those uh, memories to to look at it, but once you've uh, been in the civilian world and you've been acclimatized to it for long enough, all of a sudden, oh my God, is that what I saw? Is that what I did? Holy shit! And um, so the people that think that they're all good to go, be wary and be watchful. And this is for the family members too. You know, if your uh, significant other was in a war zone ten years ago, uh, and, and but looks like they're they're pretty stable, doesn't mean that they're going to be stable in another ten years or thirty years. At the OSI clinic, we've had Vietnam veterans showing up. Vietnam veterans that you know from the '60s and, and early '70s yep. uh, that all that all of a sudden were like, 
I thought I was good, but all of a sudden, all this stuff is flooding back. The dam broke, and uh, and I'm a hot freaking mess. <laughs> My life is 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 destroyed because uh, uh, all of a sudden I am am remembering things that have been blocked. Um, that just happened to me a few years ago. Went on a hunting trip with a friend of mine that uh, was my roommate in Croatia. And well, we, we saw some shit together. And one of the things that we saw in real time, as it happened, my brain flipped it. And, uh, and I put a different image in my brain. Not consciously, it just did it automatically. Mm-hmm. And uh, But his didn't. So as soon as we got back to the camp, uh, he was just like shell-shocked, like just his wide-eyed, mouth open, like, Oh my fucking God. And he's telling the other people and they're like, uh, which is good because we had a close section, right? So he's able to, 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 to tell the other people what's happening. And I was just like, do, 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 no big deal. Um, and he's just in, in shock and horror, rightfully so. Like that would, that's a normal response for what we just witnessed. And, um, uh, but my brain couldn't do it. So it didn't do it. It put a different image in there. And it wasn't until three years ago that him and I were uh, hanging out together and it, and it came up and, uh, and all of a sudden the curtain opened back and I remembered. I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn it. It was a lot better uh, uh, not remembering it. So the moral of the story, uh, because there's so many people of my vintage that are just getting out after a full career of like 35 years, right? Oh, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. Wait for it. You know, uh, I know people with eight or nine tours. That's a hell of a lot of war. The chance that you're okay, truly okay, is just about zero Yeah. after that much war. Like fucking zero. So be vigilant. Watch for it. And it's, it's like uh, being 30, uh, a cop for 35 years. You're going to have an issue. Like there's, or a paramedic. And you're in corrections, you know. Um Let's talk about uh, corrections a little bit before we close out. Corrections is one of the most under under acknowledged uh, uh, parts of uniform services. And yet it is one of the most trauma-rich environments there is. So do you regret going going into into corrections or... Um, Honestly, uh, what, what, what's, what's the, uh, the, how common do you think, um, uh, PTSD is, uh, within the world of corrections? Well, I can look at you with a very straight face and say, I'm completely glad that I went into this profession because if you want to learn how to help people and to learn how to stand against all the problems and PTSDs and, and traumas and stress, that is probably the place to go. Because day after day after day, when you go in there, you're getting negative interactions. And the key, and this is something, I wrote an article about it on my website a little while back because I was sitting there and I was like, okay, so we don't have as many deadly force encounters as most of the other professions do. And so I asked that, I was like, why is it so high? Why are these rates so high? Because everything's personal. Say if say if you're, you're coming into work and I'm sitting there all day, I'm like, there's Mark. Today I'm going to fuck with Mark. What are we going to do with Mark today to get him going? And of course, they know. They know exactly what they can get away with so that, you know, nothing bad befalls them, but it's just enough so it's like I can make your day miserable. Day after day after day after day is, is stuff like that. Or, um, you know, it's very predatory too. Like if, you, if you're not sure of yourself, if you're not confident, if you don't think you can handle yourself, they will pick up on that and they will have fun with you at your expense. And so there's a lot of learning that can go on there from both, both different sides, you know, from 
keeping yourself bolstered against that, for starters, you have to, and that, and that's like I said, being very honest with your weak points and what you got going on is super important. And then you also have to understand people from the other side of the world, predatory behaviors, manipulative behaviors. And I'm not just like, they'll, they, most people will say that, but then they pay lip service to it. Like these people are very, very good at that because they've, they've grown up again in these very poor environments where their parents are drug addicts or just lots of crime or they grow up in the ghettos. And, and the problem is, is they know, they know how to poke you. Right. So it's like, I, I can say something that'll trigger you. And then from there, I'll just lead you around by the nose all day. And then, so what happens again is this goes back to what I was saying earlier, but if we have this conversation, you get those jitters, now get those jitters every day and, and nothing ever happens every day, day in and day out. So what happens is you hear these stories and it, it happened uh, not too long ago. We had a couple of people actually pass away like months after retirement because it's the same thing as an alcoholic that stops drinking. You get all this stress day in and day out and day in and day out. And all of a sudden you just shoot, you cut that right off. It's like, okay, you're retired. See you later. And these people have no sense of, no sense of purpose or, or they just don't know what to do with themselves. Much like veterans, you know, when we get out, we, we take our break for a while, but there's just such an accumulation of, of all this shit and chemicals in their system that it's just like, as soon as you cut that off, like it's not healthy. Right. And so that's where, that's where a lot of the problem is. And the other thing too, is, um, when you're right in like working inside those places, you don't have like the response equipment. There's no tasers. There's no gun. There's no, there's nothing like that. It's, it's, it's like, it's like you and I sitting at this table. And if you're the monster and I have to deal with you, it's like, it's just you and me we're stripped away. So it's like my, it's my will against yours and and failing that, then it's physicality against yours. So, and I've said this before too, corrections can either set you free and, and, and make you the strongest person you could be to help others, or it can completely kill you. It's that simple. Like that's what that is. So, so it's interesting. I seen this, I seen this going around the other day. I don't know if you caught it. I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, you can either, you can either be stress and trauma or you can be strong, but the amount of work and effort is the same. Right. And so, so it becomes a shift of mindset where it's like, it's on me. Like I'm, I'm my own first responder here. Like I, I need to be able to keep myself safe. Like, yeah, we got backup, but it doesn't help with all the day to day things. And so in doing that and in understanding those things, it also helps, you know, clean up your personal life too, because all those things apply. And then if you can deal with people in that capacity, because I always see that, eh? you see those old movies where the prison warden and then he goes on to be a politician. If you can deal with people in that capacity, you can deal with anybody because you're literally getting like the most manipulative, violent people. And some of them are like psychotic. Like they'll look at you like you're, you're just an obstacle in the way. You're not a human. They'll just look at you and they're studying you like this. And as they're talking they're you know, there's, you can tell that the hamster on the wheel is doing something not good up there. So you're dealing with those types of people all day and you have to learn to navigate that. And in order to do that, we have to understand different perspective and different perspective requires putting in the work. It requires experimentation. That's the other thing too, like reading any kind of a uh, psychology book. I can read this psychology book and I can be like, and that's one thing to have information. But the other thing is you have to be able to understand how to apply the information. So it's like, I can read this thing and be like, okay, this week I'm going to try this approach. And then you can see if it's going to work or not. And then what you do is then you take those lessons and you apply them and you, you either you change your approach or you discard it if it does or it doesn't work. Not only that, then you do the moral thing, which is, you know, help your peers out now. And, and, and the nice thing with coming from, again, the peer support thing is I can put it in a language that they understand. Instead of reading it from a book that's written, you know, prim, like all proper and everything, it's like, 
okay, so if this guy's doing this, it's because it's not personal, but he, he just wants to get what he wants and he's trying to get the reaction out of you. He's trying to, he's trying to piss you off basically. So then he can, he can ask for the, the thing kind of like a greasy sales pitcher almost like, you know what I mean? They do that or, or they'll come up and they'll make small talk and they'll ask for something or whatever. And it's like, well, no, cause they're, they're, they use those things, right? It's, it's the same. Some of the things that salesmen use is the same thing, but then some of it is very much manipulation, coercion, intimidation. And you have to understand how to deal with that. And if you can deal with it right there on the spot and you understand what's going on and it's not easy, like it does require work. Like you have to put yourself out there. There is no shortcut for that. And so it's almost like, it's almost like getting the lessons that we need for mental health, but you can, you can actively go out and get them and you can prove and disprove things right then and there. So I think corrections that way is very underrated. It's been really good to me now. It was a really, really rough start and a very hard learning curve, as it is for a lot of people. Like there's people that you watch them; they can be there for ten years, and you it looks like they did a full career mark. Like they're just worn right ragged out, haggard, and like very cynical. And it happens, like I said, because of those things I mentioned. It's all in close. It's all personal, and it's every day. Like you can't. That's what you do. You go into work, and it's like it's just this back and forth every day. And, and that's what, that's what the goal is. So then that's where the self-talk changed where it's like, it's on me. Am I, you know what I mean? And it's like, so what are we going to do? Are we going to get strong? Or are we going to let these guys win? And it's like what you're saying, right? You, you change the mission. The mission is to win. The mission for me, the mission for me is I have to learn to get along with these people, to get these people to stop doing this. And I, and the, the mission is I have to go home whole, not safe. Safe is I can lock myself inside that. I can lock myself in a thing all day and never touch nobody. I'll be safe. But going home whole is when you can go and do your job because we all have to do our job and you can have the back and forth with people, but you can understand how that back and forth went and you can be okay with it and you can influence it to the degree that you want to. Or at least, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to understand too that someone is just, and this is a big one, people, they, they go off and they get mad and this and that and sometimes you have to kind of back off or whatever and be like, yeah, okay, whatever, fine. But it's a shot to the ego where we think, okay, am I the coward here? It's like, no, this person was just so upset that I had to back off because this fight's not worth it. You, you learn things like that, but you have to, you have to, at the end of every day, go home and reflect and unpack those things. And like I said, it is a lot of work, but it can be very rewarding. And I'm at the point now where it's kind of it's kind of a little funny, but I can have this conversation with somebody. And I'm just kind of sitting there analyzing it as it's coming out and, and kind of real time and paying attention to different things or whatever. And it's really, it goes from then a point of being stressful to a point of curiosity. Obviously, I mean, you're not going to do that if someone's ready to tear your head off. But I mean, for the normal everyday conversations, it, it definitely takes on a it definitely takes on a new perspective. It must be difficult to balance having a relationship with uh, the prisoners. Because I've, from corrections workers I've talked to, um, the other corrections workers will shit on you if you're too nice to them uh, and, or have too good of a relationship with any of them. Uh, your own people that you work with are going to shit on you. Whereas um, if, uh, but if you don't have some kind of a relationship with them, it's it's a more dangerous environment. How do you navigate that? Well, again, for anyone who's considering uh, doing that, or if you're just kind of getting started there and you're encountering this problem, that again is a, it's a perpetual issue that just needs constant maintenance and work and improvement. And the, the, the stance, there is a stance that works better, but at the same time, again, you have to, you have to put all the work in to get to there. So, so they respect, they respect strength. They respect if you're authoritative, if you're, if you're self-respecting. So it's like if we have this talk and if I'm talking with you assertive and if I'm being fair, you know, 
I can be fair and be like, listen, okay, if you if you want to you want to call your family or whatever, I'll you know what I mean. Yeah, we can give you a, a quick call or whatever to see if everything's going. But blah blah blah. And then, you know, if they come back in and start asking for something like that, it's like, okay, no, I give you, like, now you're just, you're asking for more. They start asking for other things. It's like, you can be fair. You can be firm. The biggest thing is you have to, you yourself have to understand your boundaries as well. And you have to, you have to maintain those boundaries and they will, they will try and erode them. So there's, there's, there's a point of, and this, I think this is where this comes from. There's being nice because you're just a generally respectable human, but then there's being nice because you're afraid of a con- of a negative consequence, and I think that's where that line gets really blurry. And so you have to be able to stand your ground. You have to have your self respect, but you can also be a decent human being. Your ability to stand your ground, uh, I can see that there would be pros and cons to being a former infantry soldier, especially one with the combat tour. There's both pros and cons to it. Uh, how has that helped you, and how has it uh, hurt you for um, working in corrections? It was a lot more, it was a lot trickier when I started um, because as you know, and anyone else that's been in those trades knows that when you're told to do something, it's like you do the thing like three seconds ago, like it, it just gets done and it gets done right now and, and that's it. And it's very orderly and it has to be like that for a reason. So that is the structure that we understand. You get into a role like this where you're telling people who don't give two shits about nobody but themselves and they're very egotistic and vain to go and do something. They tell you to go fuck yourself and they tell you this and that and they move very slow. Is that the other prisoners or is, yeah, that, yeah. is, there, is that your yeah. co-workers? No, no, that's definitely the prisoners. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, see, they, it's very hard to take that because then it's like, you know, you're looking at it like who the f- you know, who the fuck, like get fucking going. And it's very hard like to not overreact at, at first. It was very, very hard. But then you learn better tools, right? So it's like, okay, so I'm going to either A, lower my, you can lower your expectations, but at the same time too, there is that line where, and they know it too. It's like a, it's weird. It's almost like it's a mutual understood thing where it's like, okay, let's get going. And they start to meander or whatever. And it's like, okay, you know, you want to have your last little kind of just being slow. But then the ones, if they start to get a little too excessive, it's like, okay, let's fucking go here kind of deal. But they get that though. Then they start moving, right? So again, it's, it's the boundary thing. So you just have to understand that you're in a different environment now. The expectations are different. And at the end of the day, we ain't we ain't on no line of departure. We ain't like we don't have to be at a certain place to support these other guys that are, you know, laying down this cover fire here to do the flanking maneuver. It's I go to work and I have like, you know, anywhere from ten to sixteen hours to make this happen. And if it gets done, it gets done. And that's it. Like that's the expectation, right? We have the routine to follow. The routine's got a little bit of flex in it and it's not the end of the world. And when you do that, that cuts down the stress level. But that was very hard being very structured and very regimented going into that. Um, but then you just learn, right? And it's the self-talk. Okay, this is the battlefield, but it's a different battlefield. So how do I win this battle? As far as getting respect from the prisoners, uh, can they kind of smell that you're a combat veteran? Uh, do they, because uh, you're not going to be the only infantry veteran uh, uh, working in that prison. I know the Remand Center in Edmonton, they call it the 4th Battalion BBCLI because there's uh, a pile of the brothers that are that are working there. Uh, do you think that uh, uh, prisoners have a little bit more reverence for uh, the veterans? Absolutely, they do. Um, the biggest the biggest reputational currency, I'll call it, is your capacity for violence. And so it, it, it is negative to look at it that way. But if like if you're a soldier 
obviously you've been trained to do those things. And so they do have a level more of a level of respect for that because obviously for them, that's their way of life, right? That's how they survive in their jungle. So there, it does, it does bring it up a little bit, but at the same time, like I said, if you start going the other way where you're, you're just all the time, like it, it deteriorates very quick and then you start having problems. Right. So again, it becomes, you have to, you have to enforce your boundaries. They don't have to be as strict, but then when you do, okay, it's like, okay, now you're stepping over the line. Then they get it. Then they go. And you're getting, you get less pushback that way. It comes down to being a decent human being. It's like, I don't have to, I don't have to rag on you because it's like, I have, you know what I mean? It's like the currency thing again, where it's like, I don't have nothing to prove to you because you know, you already have some street cred as they put it kind of deal. Right. Whereas you'll get people that are brand new that you can tell like they're, they're 18 years old, never done another job in their life. Those guys are getting different treatment because it's like, well, let's see what this guy's all about. Let's push him this way. Let's push him that way. Whereas me, if I carry myself a certain way, they're going to, you know, obviously if you hold yourself a certain way, people are going to be less likely to poke at you. Well, they know that you're not going to hesitate to react with violence. You know, you're not going to, um, uh, not going to be going looking for it. You're not going to be a dick about it. But uh, if somebody comes at you physically, there's no hesitation there. It's just, you're, you're going to get it. And I hope all your friends see the beating you're about to receive. Yeah, it's, um, and that's, and that's the other thing too. Like that's definitely, it always is the last resort. And like, especially when you get older, like even just like the little normal everyday kinds of the tussles you get into here and there, it's like, you try to avoid them. Cause it's like, okay, you know, this is what it is. I'm trying to reason with you here kind of deal. But then if, if you're, if you're doing it like that, you're trying to be reasonable. And then it resorts to us. Like they get it though too. It's like, it's, it's weird. Like they get it. They know they had it coming. Like it, it's weird every time that happens. It's a law of the jungle kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, if you get someone who's just very jumps the gun or whatever, that's different again, right? It's a very weird, um, it's a very weird fine line to balance. Like I said, it just, you can let it consume you and you can be completely reactive your whole career or you can take the initiative. And like I said, doing, doing the research, doing the application and don't be afraid to try new approaches. I've had things blow up in my face trying that, but I've also learned to diffuse situations better because of it. But I've also learned better language. And now it's like life is pretty, for the most part, stress-free working in that place. In a place that's supposed to be highly, highly toxic. Um, yeah, it's definitely a different experience now than it was 10 years ago. And that's not for any lack of effort. But that's the thing. And that's what, that's what I was going, um, that's where I came to my realization with what I'm doing. That's why I promote um, the balance part of it. Um, yeah, you go to work and you, you do all this, but you gotta you gotta do all the the other work on the other side because if not, you don't get to enjoy life. Life consumes you. You know, I don't I don't want that. I want to. I still have lots of things I want to see, lots of things I want to do, and and I don't want to be stuck in the house, and I don't want to have you know a drinking problem, and I don't want to be hating people and hating my life. I, and I know I don't want to do that, so it's like I'm gonna be. What do I need to do so I don't do that? Right, and, and so these are the, these are the things that help level me out. Um, yeah, balance. Grant, what's uh, the name of your podcast again for the, for listeners? The name of the podcast is Trial and Triumph, and uh, it can be found on everything. Um, it's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on. I put it on Anchor, and Anchor kicks it out to a bunch of really weird, obscure uh, platforms I've never heard before. I just run it all through Anchor. Some of them are on my YouTube channel, which the YouTube channel I don't really look at a whole lot because that's that's more of a kind of a pain in the ass for putting those up there. So I have I'm gonna get them all up there, but just right now I kind of took a little bit of a hiatus. Just from all the craziness that's going on online, I kind of stepped back from all a lot of that because it's like it's too much. And I'm just gonna focus on on helping people through like you know the way I've described earlier, just you know having the one on ones. I think that's meaningful work and effort and. uh 
you know, I've been kind of getting back on the social media here a little bit more lately again, but I, I took a step back for a little bit because I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get too, a little bit too invested in this here. So I'm going to back off here now and just kind of reorientate again. Thanks so much for being on here, brother. It's uh, appreciate you making the time driving, uh, driving hour to get here. And, uh, and thank you for all the work that you do. It's really good to see you again. Thank you for having me on here, Mark. This was really great. All right. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.